from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Following those hard times, sun will fade out, moon cloud over, stars fall out of the sky, cosmic powers tremble, and then they'll see the Son of Man enter in grand style, his arrival filling the sky. No one will miss it. He'll dispatch the angels. They will pull in the chosen from the four winds, from pole to pole. Take a lesson from the fig tree. From the moment you notice its buds form, the merest hint of green, you know summer's just around the corner, and so it is with you. When you see all these things, you know he is at the door. Don't take this lightly. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for this one too. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out. My words won't wear out. But the exact day and hour? No one knows that, not even heaven's angels, not even the Son, only the Father. So keep a sharp lookout, for you don't know the timetable. It's like a man who takes a trip, leaving home and putting his servants in charge, each assigned a task and commanding the gatekeeper to stand watch. So stay at your post watching. You have no idea when the homeowner is returning, whether evening, midnight, cock crow, or morning. You don't want him showing up unannounced with you asleep on the job. I say it to you, and I'm saying it to all. Stay at your post. Keep watch. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Somebody's having a bit of a hard day today. I'm sure it's not just one of us. Let's take a deep breath together. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to share some personal things with you. First of all, I want to say I'm really grateful for the sounds of life that we've been hearing during the scripture reading and earlier in the service today. Uh, especially so because um, this morning my friend gave birth to her first child. <laughs> it's such a gift it's such a tremendous gift and it's easy to take it for granted or to get tired or frustrated it's good to be present and a par part of this together 
Another friend was visiting me recently, and um, uh, we had a nice day together, and then she went home, and I got a text message from her, and it said, um, you may already know this because I shared my location, but I've arrived safely home. Shared my location. Shared my location. Do you all know what that means? Well, you're better than I am, friends. It took me several hours to figure out how she had shared her location with me because I have not really used the feature on my smartphone called Find My Phone. Uh (laughs) There's this way that you can allow people to see where your phone is and therefore where you are, hopefully, that I was just becoming introduced to. But it was more complicated than that. It wasn't just that I hadn't used this feature before and I had to figure out what she was talking about, but also I was getting introduced to the idea, as most of us in this room have at one time or another, Uh, that it feels really good to know where the people you love are. It feels really good to know where the people you love are. I am a very reluctant cell phone adopter. I am that age of millennial where, like, I have no excuse for not knowing things, but I just don't want to. I grew up before, you know, before Facebook, right? I was in the, you know, at best chat rooms generation when I was a teenager. And I have found that this concept of smartphone technology has felt to me like an intrusion, a source of demands, right? And I have been very slow to adopt a cell phone at all. In fact, the only reason I ever got a smartphone, the only reason I ever graduated from the flip phone, uh, was because I became a pastor. And I needed to know how to find the people I love. So I got a cell phone, a smartphone, um, so that I could stay in touch with my parish. But slowly, slowly have I been learning how to do other things, like share my location, or my thoughts, or my texts about what I'm thinking about, what bothers me or worries me, what I've been reading, what I'm hoping for, words of affection. I realize that the Part of the feeling that comes up for me, and maybe also for you, with this whole idea of an intrusion or crossing of my boundaries, is the sense that if I don't open up these options to be notified, to share, for people to be able to find me, it will be a defense. It will be a defense for me. In fact, that's the first thing that I feel um, now that it's way deep in the back of my mind, it's still, it's still there. It's the first thing that I feel when something new like this happens in my life. When a new level of this kind of connection emerges, the first thing that I feel is defensive. 
In fact, I realize that that is a lot to do with any of us, not just in technology, but in any experience of risk. Of risk. If I do or say something that allows you to know me for who I am, to observe me, to relate with me, there's a risk. A risk that you will find me lacking. A risk that we will disagree. A risk that one or both of us or all of us may get hurt. And my initial feeling about that is I want to defend. I want to put my armor back up. <laughs> I want to close over that space of openness with a shield, a plastic, perfect exterior uh, to prevent that risk from coming into the world. Another thing I realize that it's troubling for me, a boundary that it is crossing, is control. The thing about notifications and text messages and phone calls and having a phone that you can carry around on your person all the time is you actually can't control when people are trying to reach you. They'll do it when they need you or when it works for them. And you have to give up the idea that you can force other people into what's convenient for you. <laughs> It brings into your world a certain amount of chaos and uncertainty. A call with life-changing news can come at any time. Finally, the thing I realize I'm being forced to give up or change if I have my notifications on is this comfortable illusion that if I don't read the news, it will stop happening. That if I don't call my friend, I will never find her grouchy or hurting or in need. That if I don't look at the parts of our culture that are eating people up, we're doing pretty okay then, right? I realize this pushes on a boundary, a belief that um, I can sort of transcend in my consciousness the reality of the world in which we're living, a concrete, incarnate world where we need things from each other. We must share. We depend, each of us, on the gifts and graces of people who are not like us. This intrusion forces me to stop transcending, to give up the idea of transcendence and experience incarnation. Incarnation, being of flesh. Grappling with this very real and very fragile world. This is important. God chose incarnation, I believe, because God has goals and designs for all of us. And we ask God to make those designs happen every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. And God's goals for us are not therapeutic. 
God's goals are not about comforting us into a kind of dislocation, into a kind of transcendence, into an illusion of control and defenses of perfection. No, God is an incarnating God. God is fully aware of how unsafe this world is without God's love and protection. God's goals are not therapeutic, but instead to invite us into participation, to be incarnate also, to strive with God, to develop a discipline that does not stop with accepting the things we cannot change, but also encourages us to change the things we can. The law of God is love for God and neighbor. And God is relentlessly loving, relentlessly loving. God is willing to stop at nothing to see the kingdom come on earth. That's what came before this passage that we heard read aloud to us from Mark today. Someone comes to ask Jesus, what is the most important thing? What is the law? And God says, love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus turns and takes in the congregation and all the people in the front and everything that's going on with the building and makes an observation. Look, look at this institution. Look at this institution. It's got a pleasing aspect. It's got a lot to keep everybody busy. But what does it do but make poor people homeless? Look at that poor widow, Jesus says. All these fancy people walking around in here, they're giving from their excess, from what they have over, left over. They've swept her up into a mode of belief that she is risking all. She's giving from what she has to live on of her very survival. Did you even notice her? And then Jesus says, something is coming. Something is coming, and we don't know exactly, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but here's what it's going to be like. The master, the one who's designed it all, is coming and is going to set everything right. And all the stuff that has been built up that makes widows give of their very survival, that makes people homeless, that makes people confused about what God wants from them, all of that is going to be laid out flat. Not one stone on another stone. But the people who have been in darkness, who have been in suffering, who have been in loneliness, never will they have felt so seen and so abundantly loved. The law is love for God and neighbor, and God will stop at nothing to see kingdom come. This week I had a chance to read a little bit about the history of Second Start. 
They really laid it out neat on their webpage, and I encourage you to check it out if you haven't before. They have pictures and everything. But it tells the story about a ministry that started in a basement. It was something very small and immediate. But then the more they did, the more they found what they could do. And it kept getting bigger and bigger, and they couldn't be kept in the basement anymore. Now, when we talk about Second Start, we're not just talking about an alternative high school. We're talking about a comprehensive program to meet the needs of people who are trying to live in this world with all of us, but who are struggling against external barriers, illnesses, circumstances they were born into, or lack of proficiency in the English language. We have adults getting driver's licenses and being helped through that process, even though they come from another country. We have kids in nursery school so that their parents can complete their education and get a better job and support their family. We have high schoolers who feel broken, who feel worthless, being shown that they matter and are cared about and can do really good things. And this huge program with all of these different parts and all these different needs met just started very small. But with a step forward and a step forward, always answering the question, what does it look like to love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself? There's this um, movie I love called Contact. It's a little bit old. It has Jodie Foster in it. You know this movie? It's not that old. Okay. He says, yes. It depends on your perspective. Yeah, it has Jodie Foster in it. It's a, um, it's a movie about space travel for all those Doctor Who fans out there. But it's about, also about reason and about faith. And there's a scene in that movie where um, Jodie Foster's character is being invited to travel into space in a spaceship that has been designed by an alien community. They want to make contact, and they have sent the humans all the information that they need in order to respond to that invitation and make contact. Actual blueprints, right? And the humans have figured out how to break open the blueprints and build the traveling ship. But reasonably, reasonably, everybody, they understand that there's no... Um, there's no fault in the alien community not understanding what humans need to be safe. So they add to the plans a little bit. They do a little bit here and a little bit there, but the main thing is that they put in this seat with seat belts, kind of a full body thing, kind of brace the head, hold the whole body in position so that when Jodie Foster's character gets in and travels, she will be safe. She'll survive the trip. And so the scene happens. They do the countdown. Everything is in place. Everything's whirring away. And the journey begins. And the shaking starts. And Jodie, her character is really tough. 
and really invested. So she shakes and she shakes and she shakes, but she does not lose sight of her job, her mission, even though she's shaking and shaking and she thinks she's going to shake apart. She's trying to take everything in. She's trying to observe what's going on, even though there's this incredible pressure on her body. And then at one point, something comes out of her pocket, something that's important to her, that's connected to her humanity. And if she's going to capture it, it floats away, she's going to have to unbuckle her seatbelt. And so she does. And with her eyes fixed on this symbol for her of love and humanity, she reaches out towards it. And it's once she has it clasped in her hand that she realizes that her shaking has stopped. And she turns to look at this chair, this safety implement, and it is shaking harder than ever. In fact, it shakes so hard that it breaks loose. And it and her are cradled. Because the community that wanted to make contact wanted it bad enough to understand something about the needs of the community they were reaching toward. In fact, she was safe, safer embraced in this design, responding to this invitation. This is what I'm thinking about as we go through the collapsing of our institutions. That's what's going on this Advent. I'm an insider in the United Methodist Church, and so I'm aware of how much our denomination is changing and how far-reaching the consequences of the decisions that we've made will be. So much will be different. There will be so much we have to let go of and so much new that we will have to be willing to imagine in order to move forward together. I'm a little bit scared of what it will ask of me. In fact, my response to it is a response of defensiveness. I have a desire to be able to control when things are going to be asked of me and which things will be asked of me I would love to be able, and sometimes I give in to this temptation, to just disconnect and not hear what's going on and pretend that somehow you and I, we can be just separate and transcend all of this. But where my hopefulness comes from is that Jesus isn't like that. And Jesus' ministry, especially according to the Gospel of Mark, he's in the middle of all of it, and he's got all of his notifications on. I mean, if Jesus were here in the 21st century, he would be dinging and beeping and fluttering and all the time and laughing about it, delighting in it. He wants us to know how to share our location, to see that he's already shared his, and he's made it home safely, and we'll make it home safely too. 
The chair we've built is going to shake us off. It, too, will be destroyed, but it's for our own good because the original design was better and we will find ourselves safer, too, 